we get ready to get into the word uh, together this morning, I want to uh, just draw your attention to the title for our series, The Great Investment. We're starting a new series here that we're going to be focused in on for the next three Sundays through the month of February. Now, if you look at that title and and you think, well, that actually kind of sounds like a a financial, you know, type thing. It is. (laughs) No, it really really is. But I want to say here at the onset, it's a lot more than that. But the reality, though we may or may not talk about it often, the reality is if there's any kind of trouble that all of us could relate to, though we all come from different places, different walks of life, different experiences, how many of you know it's money trouble? I mean, if there was any kind of a stress that we could all say we've experienced, it's financial stress, right? I guess I'm sitting in front of a bunch of millionaires, I guess. <laughs> Even if I was, I think you would say the same thing. Stress <clears throat> over finances is a, a common felt experience in our lives. And... and God has made you a steward. I'm going to say this many times this month, but I'm going to say it right here at the beginning. You don't own anything. God is the owner of everything. You and I are managers. And when we stand before God, what he's going to say to us, what we long to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. He'll say, you've been faithful with few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler of many things. If you manage what God gives you now, he'll trust you to manage more in the future. And so we're going to dive into this idea of what we're investing our lives in. But let me just lay a little foundation uh, outside of a biblical context. I read an article this week. Uh, The headline captured my attention. It said, fighting with your spouse, it's probably about this. (laughs) Now, it didn't capture my attention because I'm fighting with my spouse. (laughs) But I read the article and it said, this was from uh, CNBC. Finances are the leading cause of stress in a relationship. According to a survey of people in a relationship or partnership that was released Wednesday, by SunTrust Bank. Some, 30, <coughs> some 35% of all respond, respondents experiencing relationship stress said that money was the primary cause of friction. 35%. <coughs> now, what was fascinating to me is that it said in among those that responded, those in the age range of 44 <laughs> To 54, 44% of them said money was the primary cause of stress in their relationship. I thought, <coughs> I thought that was interesting because a lot of times young couples kind of naively believe that we're going to work out all the money issues here at the beginning. And then when we get older, when we hit that 20-year mark, we're not going to have any problems anymore. But these couples, 44 to 54 years old, are in that 20 <laughs> Category. In fact, my wife and I, we're going to be celebrating 20 years uh, of marriage this September. And I can tell you, we didn't figure it all out yet. 
Can I get an amen from somebody my age or older? <laughs> okay, not alone. <clears throat> the, the writer goes on to say, money really touches everything. It impacts people's lives. Money and, <coughs> money and stress do seem to go hand to hand for many in America, whether they're in a relationship or not. A study released earlier this week by the American Psychological Association found that almost three quarters of Americans are experiencing financial stress, at least at some, some of the time. And nearly a quarter of all Americans are feeling extreme financial stress. Now, I hope you don't fit into this next category, <coughs> but the research says couples don't just argue about money. They hide transactions from each other. One in five Americans in a relationship say that they have spent $500 or more and not told their partner. And 6% maintain secret accounts or credit cards. Now, don't elbow anybody. <coughs> You're like threatening each other now. If you, you ever <laughs> Sun Trust found that 36% of partners in a relationship do not consult their significant other, even about large purchases. So there's the potential <coughs> that a, a husband or a wife in a relationship could be carrying a load of stress and their spouse not even know about it. It's no surprise at all that the majority of, of divorces uh, are because of financial issues. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says now. Jesus, speaking very clearly, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, said this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll despise, uh, you'll be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He's very clear on what he's talking about here. Money wants to be your master. It wants to be my master. It wants to enslave us like a taskmaster and limit our ability to accomplish the work of God. Now hear me, I'm saying money wants to do this, but you understand there's nothing evil about money. In fact, you know, some people misquote that scripture. People say, you know, the love of money is the root of evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's true. Money in itself is not evil. In fact, money is a blessing. Can I get an amen there? Money is a blessing. But money can become our master. And anything that is our master is not God's will for our life. I want to tell you today. Here's my heart. God wants to set some of you free from the mastery of money. That's God's heart for your life. And as we lay this foundation, I want to tell you, God wants to establish every area of your life. But if God is going to establish your steps, if God is going to or order uh, your movement and your growth throughout this year, how many of you understand it has to include our finances? We can't, we can't look at our relationship with God like we look at the Sunday paper. You know, where you got the religious section over here, and then you got the finance section over here. And we like to compartmentalize things. You know, I got my Sunday morning deal, but then, I, then I've got my, my job. I got my, uh, my social life, the entertainment section. No, 
It's all together. God wants to be the leader of your whole life. <clears throat> you know, in this church, we have some core beliefs. But along with those, we also have core behaviors. And if you've taken our, our membership class, then you know we spend a pretty good amount of time talking about core behaviors. Here's what we found to be true. You can say what you believe, but how many of you know that behavior eats beliefs for breakfast? Amen. I mean, come on. You can say, oh, I believe this, I believe that. But the truth is, what you really believe is revealed by how you behave. And how you behave is a testament to what you really believe. So more than just saying, here's our, our doctrinal truths and here's what we uh, align with, uh, you know, biblically and theologically, what we've done is we've looked at a few things and said, these are our core behaviors. And I want to give you one of those to just think about today. And it's this behavior of having an abundance paradigm. Abundance paradigm. And I want to define it for you on the screen. An abundance paradigm means this. We will embrace life with an open hand and not a clenched fist, knowing that God will provide what we need to fulfill his will. Now, now please, hear, hear what I'm not saying today. An, an abundance paradigm is not a, a, a new way of saying prosperity gospel. There's been too much abuse in the church that people would, some, for some reason, believe that, that the blessing of God is always tethered to financial prosperity. There's been this distortion of God's word that somehow, if you have uh, financial means, the favor of God's on your life more than on someone uh, who doesn't. And that, that gospel message gets really polluted when our American gospel, our prosperity gospel, gets broadcast via satellite and the internet to third world countries. And we're talking about God's favor with shiny new cars and new suits and new clothes. That's not an abundance paradigm. What I'm talking about is a mentality of thinking that lives life with an open hand and not a clenched fist. But here's the why. Be knowing that God will provide what we need to fulfill his will. Here's what I want you to understand first and foremost today. God's provision is always tied to God's purpose. Amen. Now, is he good? Absolutely. Does he bless us? Uh, yes. Does he go above and beyond? Absolutely. God has been so good to me. He's been better to me than I've been to myself. But listen, the blessing of God comes with purpose, and his, his provision is tied to his purpose. So living life with an open hand is understanding that, that God has unlimited resources to accomplish his will in the earth. Unlimited resources. And as long as you allow God to establish your steps, and this is our prayer, that God would establish us. As long as you'll allow God to establish your steps, even in the area of your finances, then you can live life with the confidence that I will have more than enough. I'll have more than enough to meet my needs. I'll have more than enough to do the things that God calls me to do. God always brings provision for the vision. Whatever God provides for us, he's done it to fulfill his will through us. And so God wants us to live life with an open hand. And the best way that we can illustrate an abundance way of living, an abundance paradigm, is through extravagant generosity. Let me just drill down on that for a minute. Extravagant generosity. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see 
<coughs> a verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. While you're finding that, 2 Corinthians 9, let me read verse 8 to you. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. <coughs> now, us Christians, we love to quote the first part of that verse. God is able to bless you abundantly. Amen. We love that, and he is, but why? Talking about God's provision being tied to your purpose, why does God want to bless us? Look at it there. It says, so that you will abound in every good work. See, the context of this verse is extravagant generosity. I don't just mean the context for you. I mean the context of the conversation. Paul was writing to an actual church of believers, a poor uh, church. He was writing to people who wanted to exercise generosity by sending an offering with him to the church in Jerusalem. And so he's speaking to them about extravagant generosity. Now, back up a couple verses with me. Look at verse 6. Paul writes, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, for some people, I mean... That might be like revelation firing off in your mind. But if you're a farmer, that's just common sense, right? It's common sense. You want to reap more? Sow more. You want to reap less? Sow less. It's common sense. But he says in the next verse, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, I love this verse. And I love it even more now. Because of the defense that it gives. Listen, that verse says, you are to give what you have decided. Can I tell you, nobody else can tell you what to give. If you're watching some ministry on TV and they say, God wants to bless you if you'll send this offering of, you know, $33, turn it off. Amen. Just turn it off. Because the Bible says, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, can I just give you a little reprieve here? I'm not going to ask you to give under compulsion today. In fact, we've already received the offering. We're not going to end this service with an offering, okay? So you're like, oh, great. He's, he's talking about finances. I know where this is headed. You know, I tried one of those timeshare things. I went in. They talked forever. I couldn't get out with my wallet. This is not one of those moments, okay? God is not interested in your wallet as much as he is your heart. And my heart's desire is that you would find freedom from anything that wants to make you a slave. But that we, like Paul, would be able to say, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, for God, the last part of verse 7, loves a cheerful giver. Another translation says a liberal giver. Somebody that gives and wants to give. And wants to keep giving. <clears throat> and then he gives us that verse. God is able to bless you abundantly. Let me skip down to verse 9. He says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also, <coughs> will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Hear, hear what Paul's saying here. Don't get lost in the verbiage. He's saying God's going to supply your needs. He's more than able to meet your needs. You're going to have enough bread for food. You're going to have enough seed to supply. But then he says he's going to increase your store of seed. Not, not, the, not the seed that you have that you need to, to provide for your family. He's going to increase your store of seed. And he's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, more, more than what you need. Why? Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that. Here's a purpose statement. Those two words are circled in my Bible. So that. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. God wants to enrich your life so that you can be generous. Isn't that exactly what God told Abraham, the father of our faith? What did he say? He said, I've blessed you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by you. Listen, God wants to overtake your life with his blessing. Now, I, I know you're waiting for the catch. I'm just waiting for it to sink in. He wants to overtake your life with his blessing. It's exactly what God said in his word. Deuteronomy 28, 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and accompany me and accompany you. I, I like the ESV translation. It says, and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Now this is a promise. The blessing of God will come on you. It will overtake you. But every promise has a premise. And the, the promise is God's blessing is going to overtake your life. But the premise is if you obey the voice of the Lord. See, God wants to establish your life. He wants to establish your finances. He wants to establish your future. He, he wants to build something in you so that he can build more through you. But the condition is obedience. The condition is that we follow his commands. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the extent that God has gone to show you his love. Listen to this verse. It's so powerful. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now listen, when I said God wants to overtake you with blessing, some of you kind of recoiled from that. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you're unworthy. Like, you don't deserve it. Can I just tell you what this verse says? It says that God has already emptied the accounts of heaven to show his love for you. He gave his son Jesus. He spared no expense. He gave it all, his most uh, precious, treasured, valuable possession, his son. So the logic is, if God would do that, why would he hold back any other blessing from you? If God would give you the very best, anything else is, is less. Anything else is, is easier, less sacrifice. The reality is that Jesus, he, he gave us everything. Everything he has. The Bible says now in Christ we are joint heirs with Jesus. Everything that Jesus has, he made for us to access. But listen, it's available to us. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. 
Every promise has a premise. We, we can't just go around claiming these, these verses that, that God's going to bless me exceedingly and abundantly, more than I could ask or imagine, if we're not willing to submit ourselves to his lordship in every area of our lives. God, God wants to position you for blessing. But listen, God, God doesn't bless us so we can raise our standard of living. God blesses us so we can raise our standard of giving. The best thing about a blessing is the fact that when you're blessed, you can bless other people through it. That's the best part of being blessed. God's blessed this church. I was thinking about it this week as I was preparing this message. I, I thank God. I'm, this, this platform that I'm standing on and the, the renovations in this sanctuary, these lights that we're sitting under, all this, God has done. It's been a blessing. I, I'm so thankful that not only has this entire building been completely renovated in the last four years, but, but the numerical growth. I mean, we got a great crowd here this morning, and this is the second service. We were full at 9 o'clock this morning. I praise God for that. Am I the only one that is excited about that? Like You, you can say amen or something, you know. I really, I really am, I thank God when I think about, we've got 20 kids that are getting ready to go to Breakaway. Is that next weekend? Yeah. Two weekends? Yeah. Last weekend, you can tell I'm not driving. Uh, <laughs> 20 kids that are going away for a weekend to have a supernatural encounter with God at the Benjordo Conference Center. I, I remember when the kids ministry was the three kids that rode to church in my car. Thank God for his blessing. But I tell you what I'm most thankful for about the blessing God has given us. It's not that we can just sit here and say amen to how blessed we are with each other. And, and aren't you glad? I'm glad. Are you glad? I'm glad. No, it's that God has positioned us to be a, a, a bigger impact for his kingdom. It's that God has positioned us as a church to do more than we have ever done before. See, the blessing of a blessing is the fact that you can multiply it in somebody else's life. I gave a challenge earlier about missions. I really do feel that God has stirred my heart that we're to do twice as much this year in missions than what we did last year. I want to tell you, that motivation is not because I read some, uh, some touching letter that came in the mail from a missionary or because I saw a sappy commercial with sad music on TV. I'm not motivated to do more for missions for any of those reasons. The motivation for doing more is the blessing of God. The motivation for doing more is the reality that we gave four times more to missions as a church last year than we did four years ago. What we gave annually four years ago, that number has been doubled every year. God's motivation for blessing his church is very simple. I'll bless you to be a blessing. That's it. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go another round. I'm ready to say, wow, God. I mean, every time you bless us, we, we try to love the community. We try to reach out to people. You're growing your church. You're reaching the lost. I'll ante up next year if you'll do it again. I mean, let's see who's got the bigger shovel here. Can I give out as fast as he can pour in? I don't think so. God's purpose in blessing you is to be a blessing. Four years ago, we didn't even have a youth ministry at this church. You just saw an announcement a little bit about a little bit ago about our students going to convention Easter weekend. 
We had several new students in the first service this morning. Four years ago, we didn't even have a student ministry. This year, that group of students made a pledge to give more to missions themselves than this church did four years ago. I praise God for that. That is the purpose behind the blessing of God. See, when you have submitted your whole life, hear this. When your steps are ordered by God, you don't ever have to feel bad about asking for God's blessing. You don't, you don't ever have to feel unworthy or, or like maybe, some, you know, I, I probably should take a number and get in the back of the line. No, you have no hesitation in asking for the blessing of God because you know in your heart that I'm going to utilize the favor of God in my life to be a blessing in somebody else's. Amen. Amen. Me and Earl won't bless. That's it. Amen. <laughs> That's why we embrace life with an open hand and not clenched fist. Because we know that God will provide what we need to fulfill his will. <clears throat> Can I just say, when you live life with an open hand, you reflect the heart of God. God lives life with an open hand. The reason that uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 said uh, God loves a cheerful giver is because God's a cheerful giver. He is a benevolent father. He wants to bless your life. Last week, we looked at a story during our football Sunday event of the rich young ruler, this young man that, that had wealth and health and influence, and he came to Jesus, and he said, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus said, keep the commands. He said, did all that, checked all the boxes, followed all the rules. I'm good. What else do I have to do? Jesus said, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and then come follow me. The Bible says in that moment, the man's face fell, and he was sad. Why? Because he was not holding on to his money. His money was holding on to him. And the reality is, God knows, and Jesus knew in that very moment, the fact that sometimes the things that we hold in our hands are the very things that fight the most for our heart. So Jesus just points to the issue of his life and says, if you could give up and surrender that issue in your life, you can come and follow me. For some of us, we're just like the, the rich young ruler. We're tempted to turn our items into our idols. Ask yourself this question today. Is there anything in my life right now that I would not be willing to let go of if Jesus asked me to? Now, some people are afraid to pray a prayer like that because they really do think Jesus is going to ask them to, to give up everything they love. You know, people are afraid to go to an altar call when the missionary preaches because God's going to call me to Africa or something. I don't want to go to Africa. So we just kind of hang out in the back. Listen, the dreams, the desires that you have, if your heart is pure, they were God's dreams, God's desires before they entered your heart. Here's the goodness of God. God puts a desire and a dream in your life, and then he asks you to submit your life to him. And when you do, he helps you to fulfill your dreams. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I've come that you may have life to the fullest, beyond your wildest imagination, better than you could imagine. That's the plan of God for your life. But you have to be willing to submit everything to him. Listen, if there's something in your life that you, if you're honest, you say, you know what? I mean, I, I do just about anything for God, but I can't let go of that. I'm going to tell you, that's not something you're holding on to. That's something that's holding on to you. 
And in that moment, Jesus pointed out the one thing in that man's life that was holding on to him. And the enemy tries to do the same thing to us. You know, his MO never changes. It's the same in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says that God had given dominion to Adam and Eve. Subdue the earth, multiply. You can run it all, but there's this one tree you're not to eat from in the garden. Let me show you a verse in Genesis 3, verse 6. Here's what happened. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, this is the one they were not supposed to touch, was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She took it. That's the temptation of the devil, to take what's not yours, to get your eyes off of everything that is, all the provision of God, all the blessing of God, and the unseen potential that's before you, but to see something and to try to take it. It was the exact same thing with Achan in Joshua 7. Some of you remember the story of the children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, and on the seventh day after the seventh time around, the walls fall down. But what was God's instruction? He said, listen, I'm going to take you into the promised land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be blessing beyond what you can imagine. But Jericho, Jericho's the tithe. Jericho is the first fruits. Jericho belongs to me. So I don't want you to take any of the plunder from Jericho. I want you to just burn up the city as an offering to me. The Bible says there was a man named Achan. And in Joshua chapter 7, his sins have caused judgment to come. And people have lost their lives in the next battle. And so Joshua confronts him. And here's the testimony out of his own mouth. Joshua chapter 7, verse 21. Achan said, when I saw the plunder, in the plunder was a beautiful robe from Babylonia. 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. I took them. I, I heard what God said. I knew, I knew I wasn't supposed to, but I coveted them and I took them. It was the same with King David. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he's walking across the balcony in his palace and he looks out into the garden and he sees a woman bathing there. Many of you know the story. It's Bathsheba. It's not his wife. It's the wife of Uriah. But David took her and slept with her. Some time later, God spoke to the prophet Nathan to go and confront the king. So knowing that his own life could be in peril, Nathan comes and instead of just confronting him outright and saying, King, you took a woman that wasn't your wife. You shouldn't have done that. Instead, he gives the king a parable. And here's the words that the prophet said. 2 Samuel 12, verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. But instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. So the prophet gives him this story about this rich man who, who had plenty of things, but instead of giving out of his resources, he took from a poor man so that he could feed the guest of his home. And then the prophet points his finger at the king and he says, David, you are that man. 
It's the same lie of the enemy. To take what's not ours. It's the reason many people are shackled to debt. It's the people, reason people are shackled financially. That I, I want to serve God. I mean, I heard the challenge about missions, but the response was not to God. The response was, I would if I could. Why can't I? The truth is, some of us are not positioned to be a blessing because we have not stewarded the blessing that God's given us. The lie of the enemy is you'll be happy with the next thing. The next thing, that thing that's just out of your reach, that'll make you happy. That'll satisfy your heart. That thing that you don't have that they have, that thing will, will give you peace. That will give you contentment. If I had a car like they had, if, if I had a wife like he had, if I had, if I, then I'll be happy. It's the same lie that Satan told Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Satan's temptation to Jesus was, if you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Jesus was there on an assignment. He was there to fast and to pray. The enemy was saying, just take what's, just what's right outside of your reach. Just take it. And you'll be happy. You know, there's a Bible word for that. We've already read it once in the story of Achan. The word is covet. Covetousness. And it's a sin. In fact, it's the 10th commandment out of the 10 commandments. God was very clear in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his male or female employees. Or his car. Or his motorcycle. Or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. He's making it really plain here. He's saying it's a sin to look at what you don't have and to desire those things and to go after those things. And over and over again, the enemy entices us. And maybe we don't stick a wedge of gold or a Babylonian garment in our tent. Maybe we just pull out a credit card and swipe it one more time. But it's the lie of the enemy to say you can have today what's not yours. And it circumvents the flow of the blessing of God through the people of God. Because God's plan for your life has never changed. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Let me tell you quickly the cure for covetousness. Here's the cure. The cure is simple. The cure is confidence in God's provision. Confidence that God is going to provide. That's the cure. See, the lie from the enemy gets us to take our eyes off all of God's goodness, all of God's blessing and abundance, just like Eve in the garden, and to make us look at the one thing that's not ours. For David, I mean, he had wives and even concubines, and that's a whole other story. But he looks at the one thing, Uriah's wife, that's not his, and thinks, I'll find peace over there. I'll find happiness over there. It's the lie of the enemy to get us to covet. But the cure is when we say, you know what? That, that, that looks enticing to my flesh, but my steps are ordered by God. 
My steps are established by a God who is for me and not against me. A God who will meet and supply my every need abundantly. And so I understand that maybe in this moment I see something I wish I had that's out of my reach. But God's not keeping things from me. God's keeping things for me. Maybe, maybe that thing you're desiring is not evil in and of itself, but it's the wrong timing and the wrong thing, or the right thing, rather, at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. And we don't understand the timing of God to have the discipline to say, I trust that God is leading this. Yeah, everybody's getting a new car. I'd like to get a new car, but maybe God's got something he needs you to do in this season. He needs you to have the freedom and the flexibility. It's like... It's like those men who stepped over the man in the street who had been beaten and abused and left at the roadside half dead. It was the Samaritan who stopped and picked him up. The other two men, they were too busy. They were too busy. There's there's things that God has for you to do. But he needs you to create margin in your life to be able to do them. Let me give you a verse, and then I want to pray for you. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will meet all. Can we just say all? All. That's a pretty inclusive deal. All of your needs, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God will supply all of your needs. Can I just tell you today? God wants to meet your needs. He he wants to supply all of your needs. And he he will if he's your God. I love that Paul emphasized my God. Like, disclaimer here, I can't speak for all the other gods. Let me tell you about my God. My God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God is faithful today. To meet your needs. Maybe you're here today and and you don't have a relationship with Christ. Thinking, well, I I came to church and all we talked about was money. Let me tell you. God has already made the greatest investment that could ever be made. And he made it. In your account. When he gave his son Jesus to die for you. You don't have to live. With an inferiority complex about the favor of God. God's will is that you grow in favor. You don't have to live with a a poverty mentality. Or a spirit of lack that says "I, I don't have enough and I don't deserve to have enough. The reality is when you look at the cross. You look at Jesus who hung, bled, and died there. It communicates that God has given everything for you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to pray for you right at the end of this service. I want to pray for you that you would step into that relationship. That you would let God bless your life and lead your life. You know, it's a promise with a premise. We can't say I want the blessing of God if we won't follow the commands of God. And so it begins with surrender. It begins with you saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you and entrust you with my life and my livelihood. 
I'm not, I'm not making an offer here to give you Sundays. I'm not saying, God, I'll, I'll do this every weekend if you'll bless me. Not how it works. But to say, God, I, I will entrust you with my life. And you, you'll see for yourself that giving is not something God wants from you. It's something he wants for you. Because the moment you position yourself to be a blesser, the Bible says the windows of heaven open over your life. And God will pour out exceedingly and abundantly more than you can think or ask or even imagine. God wants to bless you. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this room. Let's bow our heads together for this moment. I'm going to invite you to just make an altar right where you're standing. Right where you stand. Ask yourself this question honestly. Is there any area of my life that if in this moment Jesus were to ask me to forsake it, to give it up for him, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't let go of it. Are there any strings attached to your surrender? Because if there are, you need to cut them today. Cut them loose and say, Jesus, I, I surrender all. Just like we sang earlier, all to Jesus I surrender. All to thee I freely give. And ever, Lord, from this moment forward, will I trust you. If that's you today and you, you need to surrender your life to Jesus completely. Completely. Right now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're about to pray. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Praise God. Anyone else? That's me. I, I just, I need, to, I need to surrender it all. I got to lay some stuff down today. Hallelujah. You can put your hand back down after you've raised it up. Can we right now make an altar where you stand? Let's invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you come right now? Just come in this moment. Lord, by your Spirit, by the gentle dove of the Holy Spirit, just point your finger into those dark corners of our heart and our lives. Those areas that we want to compartmentalize. Those things that we want to hold on to, hold back on. God, reveal those things right now in this moment. Help us to see today that anything less than total and complete trust is a lack of faith. You're good. You're for us. You love us. You're not keeping anything from us. God, it's your will and your desire to bless your people abundantly so that we may accomplish the good work that you have for us. So God, right now, we just release it. Lord, spiritually and physically, God, we want to stand here with open hands and not clenched fists. Could we all do that right now? Could we just open our hands up toward heaven? Just as a sign to the Lord to say, God, we, we want to have an abundance paradigm. We want to live life generously. God, we don't want to, to live life in fear, thinking that the last blessing from God was the last blessing. <laughs> but Lord, we want to live in faith, knowing that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. God, we want to live with open hands, lifted high like a funnel, so that your blessing can pour into our lives and through our lives to impact a world that desperately needs you. God, we surrender 
our whole selves completely to you. And God, I pray right now, Lord, for wisdom for your people. If there are steps that we need to take in the coming days, Lord, give wisdom to your people. Lord, to find freedom so that nothing and no one will have mastery over us but Jesus. Lord, establish our steps according to your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 Come on, let's give him praise one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray you bless your people. God, as we go out of this place, we go out with the authority of Jesus in our hearts. Lord, we go out with your name on our lips. As this church goes out of this place, God, may we be salt and light. May we make an impact. May we bless those who rub shoulders with us. In Jesus' name, amen.